When I first devised this episode, the intent was for something funny and ranty and lighthearted. And don't get me wrong, there will be plenty of that. But as I put everything together, my own thoughts, as well as the submissions I got from some wonderful listeners, some real ideas started to take shape. So forgive me if parts of this episode sound meditative, if I try to create a through line where one may not exist. I just think this is a really interesting idea, and honestly, it was way harder for me to pick least favorite books compared to all-time favorite books. So join me as we discuss reading taste through time, dissect subject matter, and muse on what makes a book an all-time least favorite. for all of you. Did anyone hate reading when they were a child? Obviously there are some of us, but my theory is most people start to hate reading when they're in adolescence, when they get books assigned to them for summer reading, or have to plod through annotating certain highbrow classics for English classes, and believe me we're going to get to some of those. But when you're a kid and you kind of have that freedom to pick what you want to read, There's just this joy to it. It's as enjoyable as any cartoon on TV or any game you'd play outside. At least it was for me and probably for a lot of my listeners. But there were definitely books that didn't work for me. I was never really a fan of Captain Underpants books. I wasn't really a fan of poop humor, but I love it now as an adult. Um, I never really got into Narnia. I just didn't get the context of it. I, I don't know. It just was... A bunch of references that were lost on me. Um, I didn't really care for Aragon or most of the Artemis Fowl books. Maybe I just didn't really have enough imagination as a kid. But none of these are books I would call a least favorite as a child. I read indiscriminately. I loved E.B. White and Georgia Bing and, yes, Harry Potter. There were so, so many books I enjoyed as a child. But if I had to pick a least favorite... My memory comes back to a Newbery Honor winning book called Our Only May Amelia by Jennifer Hull. I don't know if any of you have read this before, but this book is as bleak as its faded sepia cover. It tells the story of these Finnish settlers in a frontier town. It focuses on May Amelia, the only girl that lives in this town. I I don't know how that happened, but that's essentially what's going on. Apparently it's based on a true story. Honestly, I remember so little about this book except its dour tone, how mean all the characters are to each other, including our protagonist, and this cartoon villain of a grandmother, basically, okay, spoiler alert, but I don't know how many of you are going to read this book, spoilers, tells May that her newborn baby sister dying is all her fault. I mean, come on. I mean... I know that history was not kind to frontier settlers or honestly to a lot of us. And I know that the Laura Ingalls Wilder books, those Little House on the Prairie books that I loved so much, those are sugar-coated, incredibly racist, and very idealistic and not an accurate view of history. And I appreciate people wanting to bring a historical perspective to kids that may have gone overlooked, but not like this. There's a way to bring history to kids that just doesn't make them so, so sad and just, 
Yeah, just sad. That's the word for it. I don't have anything more eloquent to say on this book. I wanted to reread it. I wanted to reread a lot of the books we're talking about today. But honestly, I just couldn't bear to, I'll be honest. But this book, oh God, this ain't it. Also, also, no quotation marks. That bothers me as an adult, and it definitely bothered me as a kid. Now, to give you another story someone else loathed as a child, let me introduce to you one of our guests. Hi, my name is Disha Mazeppa. I'm the host of But What Will People Say? My least favorite book is a short story called The Girl with the Green Ribbon. It's in a book called In a Dark, Dark Room. So it's a collection of short, scary stories. And they read it to us in like second and third grade. And that shit still haunts me. It's about a girl who wears a green ribbon around her neck her entire life. She meets a boy named Alfred. They get married and she's always wearing the green ribbon. And then eventually at the end of the book, she takes the ribbon off and her head falls off. And third grade Disha didn't like it then, doesn't like it now. Shit still haunts me. So that's my least favorite book. Okay, so fast forward a few years later. You're in middle school and you're starting to get some summer reading books that just really aren't for you. And maybe there's that one annoying kid in the class who just really loved to kill a mockingbird or cried at Watership Down and just picked up Crime and Punishment for fun and they just wanted to show off. Yeah, I was that kid. I regret it now. I was definitely too young for a lot of these books, although Watership Down, still amazing. Crime and Punishment, probably didn't understand a word of it. Sometimes people just read for the sake of reading and sometimes I do believe books are assigned a little earlier than a lot of people can probably digest them. And there's no shame in that. And we're gonna talk about coming back to some of those books that might've been overlooked before. But if we're thinking about assigned reading, there are some real stinkers out there that I can think of. Oh gosh, Charles Dickens. Everything I've read by Charles Dickens screams that this man was paid by the word. And he absolutely was, it's been shown. He was paid by the word. Those books do not need to be as long as they are, as dreary as they are. And I know I've talked about a couple dreary books here already. I do love a good, sad book. One of my favorite books is The Heart is a Lonely Hunter by Carson McCullers, one of the saddest books out there. I do love a sad book, but not bleakness for the sake of bleakness and repetitiveness and 600 pages of drivel. I don't remember how long Great Expectation is, but it felt like 600 pages, and I doubt I really even made it to the end. There was that one. Wuthering Heights, which honestly, given some of the submissions I got, is a well-hated book, and I think that book has finally been memed accordingly, just given everything that it deserves. I mean, come on. Emily Bronte did not need to give her characters the same friggin' names, Kathy, Kathy, Linton, Linton, Kathy, Inton, Heathcliff, whatever. There's wonderful means to talk about it better than I could. Wuthering Heights is just melodrama for the sake of melodrama. And there is really great melodramatic literature out there, but I'm so over the moors and the crying and all the incest covert and non-covert. I mean, it's just too, too much. And for some more perspective on it, let's listen to some of our guest submissions. On Wuthering Heights by Emily Bronte. Every character majorly sucks, and I know that's kind of the point, but honestly, I get angry reading it, and I can't deal with any anxiety triggers, so it is a no from me, Emily Bronte. Your sister's book was way better. 
Yeah, keep that thought in mind for a little bit later in the episode. Now for another submission. Hey everyone, I've been waiting to talk about Robinson Crusoe, or what I affectionately call the literary equivalent of this meeting could have been an email. It's 200 pages of time that I could have spent doing anything else. And I would have, except I had to read it for a college class. I remember trying to keep my eyes pointed at the blurry PDF I pirated at one in the morning, hoping the descriptions of turbulent seas, cannibals taking long walks on the beach, and Crusoe's brushes with death would drown out the sound of people vomiting in the next room. And you know what? It didn't. This is a book about survival. It talks repentance and isolation and what it means to be a civilized human, but it was painfully low stakes. I've never felt less invested in a protagonist, ever. Crusoe gives us nothing to root for. His only personality trait is that he's somehow still alive. Much of the story's content is also outdated. The white saviorism and imperial propaganda slapped me in the face so many times, I needed an ice pack. But the biggest crime is in the writing. The text was dense, pedantic, repetitive. Sentences were a page long and chock full of details I didn't ask for. His stream of consciousness felt less like a stylistic choice and more like the author could have really used a Grammarly extension. Chapters felt disjointed from each other. You could flip the order of some of them and I'd be none the wiser. I see this with dystopian novels and fantasy novels today, where the author thinks a good story makes up for terrible storytelling. Look, I'm sure the 1700s reader was on the edge of their seat as the only alternatives for entertainment were contracting gout or colonizing another country. But to me, Robinson Crusoe felt like reading some guy's journal. And as far, far as journals go, Crusoe walked so the Diary of a Wimpy Kid series could run. There, I said it. I have to highlight a few more books from the assigned reading portion of my life. So let's give a few shout outs to some honorable mentions to be sure. Uh, first up, The Adventures of Tom Sawyer for being utterly boring. I, I don't know how everyone says Mark Twain is the master of humor. Maybe it was humor like 200 years ago, but there's only so much of white fence painting that I can really stomach. So yeah, that one's a no from me. Uh, and then moving on to some books I read in college. You know, shout out to my American Modernisms professor. I loved most of the books that you assigned but The Golden Bowl by Henry James, I made it about two chapters before I just rage quit on that. I, my mother tells me that I will learn to love Henry James, but my mother's also the woman who did her thesis on the thousand page Middlemarch. So maybe our literary tastes aren't exactly simpatico. Uh, moving on to another book I read in college, The Human Stain by Philip Roth, which is basically 300 pages of Philip Roth not understanding how racism works. To think this was kind of the first book we read in a multiculturalism literature class, which to the class's credit got a lot better, and it was sort of to emphasize sort of the beginnings of multicultural literature and where it all began, but yeah, I intend to finish that Pulitzer Prize reading project, and I'm really dreading reading more Philip Roth. Maybe he'll grow on me, but I just know he was an angry man with a lot of angry thoughts, and I don't know if he's really the writer for me, but hey, I never claimed to be a literary scholar, so take all of my criticisms with a grain of salt. Um, moving on, we talked about Dickens. We've talked about a lot of this, and then I want to highlight probably the big one. When people ask me what my least favorite book is of all time, 
There are some modern ones, some more recent ones that I've read, but I have to take you all back to the summer before my freshman year of high school. I was at the height of my pretentious literary career. I was so excited to go to a high school that was starting to prioritize multicultural reading. We were given books that were sort of outside the main canon. I was really excited about that. And lo and behold, the first book we were assigned is The Alchemist by Paulo Coelho. Forgive me if I'm saying his name correctly. I did not, could not stand this book. I tried to reread it. I couldn't make it through. There is just so much about this book that doesn't work for me. I, I'm sure more esteemed crit, um, critiques than mine would talk about maybe wish fulfillment or all sorts of things like that. Or, but case in point, this was a really short book that was still about 100 pages too long. It's basically Instagram poetry sort of compiled in a book. And honestly, like each individual quote, if you looked at those on their own, you might think, oh, that's a lovely quote. That's a lovely thought. But altogether, this this just reads so dry. It's just this never-ending journey to find your personal legend. And there's this one quote that just stands out to me now, and it's I'm paraphrasing it, but it's the idea that if you want something enough, the universe will find a way to make it happen for you. That's one of the pivotal quotes in this book that I can remember. And it just reminds me of like every self-help book that I hate. This book feels like the progenitor to like every self-help book that I hate. Uh, another book I really can't stand in that vein, you know, that feels based on this is uh, You Are a Badass by Jen Sincero, which I mostly sort of aligned with until she gets to the part about making money where she's like, if you want something enough, the money will find a way. And I'm like, yeah, tell that to everyone who is struggling with food insecurity or making ends meet or minimum wage jobs. Like money just doesn't appear even if you really want something. And even if you really want to achieve your personal legend, the universe is not going to make it happen for you. There are systemic things at stake that affect a lot of people and this book is just drivel and I don't understand how it's gotten so big and I like a schmaltzy book believe me I fell in love with Tuesdays with Maury which a lot of people say you know that's a lot of hope and a lot of inspiration and things like that and a lot of you know there are books like that that I still love but this one just the fact that I was assigned it the fact that it just felt like a step down in terms of all the books that I was really excited to read and the class got a lot better. It really did. Shout out to my ninth and 10th grade English teachers. You guys did a great job in creating a diverse curriculum, but this was not it. This, this was just not it. And it was probably the first time I ever really hated a book that was assigned to me in school. Not the last time Wuthering Heights came around, but definitely the first time. Now I'd like to shout out a few titles that some of our wonderful listeners submitted to me, maybe not full rants included, but some titles that definitely made their lists for least favorite book. Uh, one is The Giver by Lois Lowry. Another, A Man Called Ove by Bookstagram Darling Frederick Bachman. Another, The Maze Runner series for Sheer Disappointment, Dead Astronauts, A Tale of Two Cities. Hey, we're sticking with the Dickens thing. And those are just a few, so many more to come. Again, I don't agree with all of these opinions. I thought The Giver was absolutely lovely. I thought it was 1984 for younger children. Hold that thought on 1984. Oh, and also my boy Faulkner, but I just loved this comment. As I lay, as I lay dying, or as I called it, as I die reading. Haha, ha, very funny. 
Before we talk about reading books as an adult past the period where you're assigned books to read, I want to make a brief detour and talk about two other categories of books that might be overlooked in the least favorite book conversation. One of these is disappointing books and the other is problematic books. So if we're going to start with the latter first, problematic books. I gave this a lot of thought before thinking about some possible ones to include, but to be honest, I feel that the conversation around problematic books is sort of outside the scope of this particular episode. It's a much deeper conversation that needs to be had. It involves things such as, is there really death of the author? Is this really something we need to consider? Can there be death of the author if the author is still alive and still making statements about their work, still making political gestures out there in the world? Does a problematic author lend itself automatically to problematic literature? Is there something to be said for something being a product of its time? Does problematic literature look different to different people? And is there merit to a discussion on a particular book? Or do we defer to the opinion of those who might be harmed by this certain literature? There is so much to be said on this topic, and it may seem like a cop-out to avoid it completely, but in the end, that's something that I intend to tackle later on on this show if we have the bandwidth and possibly a guest who can really engage with me on this particular subject, but I definitely do want to do it justice. And while there are definitely overlappings between a least favorite book and a problematic book, we've alluded to a few examples earlier on the show, and there are going to be some later. I think the conversation around problematic literature, it lends its, it needs its own time and its own space. But I am definitely comfortable talking about disappointing literature. So I rarely find that a book absolutely disappoints me, mainly because I probably don't read a lot of similar books by the same author. I think a lot of people who read maybe fantasy books or series books or things like that, you might get attached to a particular writer and just feel utterly disappointed when they put out something not quite at caliber. Of course, this is, you know, not exclusive to fantasy writers. We can see this a lot in other types of literature. It's just not something I've typically experienced a lot. But there's one big exception I can think of, and oh boy, this was a disappointment. So a few years ago, I read a beautiful, beautiful novel called The Abundance by Amit Majmudar. This is a lovely book that combines everything that I love. It's a South Asian story. It's food writing. It's family dynamics. The, the main female character's name is literally Mala. I mean, come on. This, this book was meant for me. That's a couple syllables out of my name. Come on. I was going to love this. There's just beautiful... Uh, thoughts on what it means to die and to live and to leave behind a legacy. The writing was just exquisite. I recommended this book to absolutely everyone. I gave my copy to my mother. I don't know if my mom's actually read it, but this book was so beautiful and I was so excited to pick up anything that Amit Majmudar had written. And I was intrigued by the fact, fact that he was a poet first. I am not someone who reads a lot of poetry. I have definitely enjoyed poetry in the past. Uh, there are, I'm a fan of the love song of J. Alfred Prufrock is probably my favorite poem, probably because I'm still a pretentious teen that likes the books I read in school. But there is poetry out there I really enjoy. And I've been wanting to read more poetry. So I'm like, okay, a writer I love, a new genre, poetry collections are pretty small. 
let's pick this up. And then I was at a used bookstore and I saw a collection of his poetry and it's given this evocative title, Dothead, which is, you know, a, a slur for South Asian people. And the cover was just so arresting. It is the statue of Lord Shiva with a red laser pointer in the middle of his head. And it just beams out from there. And I thought it was such an arresting cover. I was taken in by the title. I thought we'd have some really powerful things to say about racism, xenophobia, what it means to cope with identity. I was so excited for that. We got maybe one poem that I can remember that talked about that. And we also got a seven, eight, hundred, I don't know how many pages this poem was, owed to the Bible and to oral sex. And yeah, an alphabetical multiverse owed to oral sex. We didn't finish this book. I think I, I don't think I even dropped it in a little free library. I think I probably buried it and just hoped that the worms would take it. It was such a disappointment. Okay, and now that I've gotten that off my chest, we can move on to talking about reading as an adult. Now, there's an argument to be made for, there probably aren't books that you hate as an adult because when no one's assigning the book to you, you can just put it down and move on and life is too short to finish books you don't like. And in theory, I totally agree with that. I am big on team DNF do not finish. If it's a book I've just picked up on my own and I'm just not feeling it at the time, I'm not afraid to just put it aside and maybe pick it up later, maybe not. There are thousands, hundreds of thousands and millions of books out there to read and we have such limited time on earth, but I do get the competitive nature of all of this. I'm an Aries, it's in my blood. I get the need to finish a book, especially if someone's recommended it or you run a podcast and people make you read books outside your comfort zone. But honestly, I was thinking very deeply about a lot of the books I've read on the show. And I have not, I have books that I have not liked on this show before. I've mentioned so on the show, but none of those books I would ever say I loathed. The books I'm coming up with that I really didn't like and I didn't have to read. Oh gosh, there's a lot of these. So shout out to a book club I joined before the pandemic that had me read two really, really awful books one of which was a biography of Indra Nui, the one of the heads of PepsiCo at the time. And the book was literally just a glorified, typo-ridden Wikipedia article. And I'm like, who published this? This is awful. That was one. Oh gosh, we're going to go on and talk about some of those. But first, let's have a little break for some guests. Remember when I said to hold a thought about a particular Bronte sister? Hey, Malavika, it's Emily from Fuckboys of Literature. Now, you had me on to talk about my favorite book, which is Mother Night by Kurt Vonnegut. And now I have to tell you about my least favorite book. And I don't think it's surprising to anybody when I say my least favorite book is Jane Eyre by one of those damn Brontes. Do I remember which one? No. Do I remember how much I dislike this book? Yes. I can't even tell you. I don't even know where to begin. Is it the fact that one of the characters is obviously named St. John, but it's pronounced Sinjin because British people are weird? Maybe. Seriously, though. Jane Eyre is a tough pill to swallow. I don't know how many times I've read it. I was assigned it a couple times in college, and now I read it once for the show a few years ago. It follows me everywhere. 
Jane Eyre is one of those books that if you don't know what you're getting into, maybe you take the wrong thing out of it. Or maybe we're conditioned to take the wrong thing out of it. Maybe it's not the wrong thing for some people. I'm speaking in a lot of generalities. But I will say that Jane Eyre is one of my least favorite books. It's a 400 plus page novel about a constantly abused 19 year old that a lot of people think is a romance novel. And I do not think so. The horror aspect of Jane Eyre never stops, and it's not the fact that Bertha is trying to burn things down from when she escapes from the attic. The horror aspect of it is the fact that there's a man named Rochester, who is considered the male lead, who keeps his wife locked in the attic. I don't know how anything else could be considered the horror element to this, but alas, we have been conditioned to think it's something else. Anyway, throw in the ward that he thinks is his daughter, but doesn't really think is his daughter, the secret second wedding before he gets rid of his first wife, and all sorts of other horrors. And you know what? Jane Eyre is definitely my least favorite book. So Emily and I both run book podcasts. And when you run a book podcast, there's obviously going to be books that you don't like. And I would argue that the book club and the book podcast are just forms of the assigned reading that we all had to do in school. Some of us need that structure. But for those of us who feel like you rely on it, give yourself some permission to just leave a book behind if you're not feeling it. Like I mentioned, life is just too short. But sometimes a loved one just really recommends a book and really just wants you to read it, and the results can be a little less than favorable. Here's another submission from a guest. On The Rum Diary by Hunter S. Thompson. To call this a book is a farce. It's a compilation of words put into an absurd manner that no one should ever have read. Of course, Johnny Depp is the reason that terrible thing exists in our lives. Usually when you find a plotless book, you can be drawn in by a character's development. This has none of that. It's a story about a pathetic, self-absorbed bro going to Puerto Rico to work at a newspaper that's basically the shadiest place ever. He and all of his companions are clearly lazy alcoholics. He starts to fall in love with the only female mentioned in the book, but he also just stands by as she's abused by her current partner and then this girl gets kidnapped and raped and her disgusting partner blames her and kicks her out of her house? Why? So then this poor girl basically goes crawling back to the main character as though he's at all decent because he noticed she was gone? And then they just decide to go back to the US because the newspaper fails anyway. It's just so fucking bad. It's the writings of a dude who clearly has never cared about a relationship in his life. I hated this book. Sometimes reading challenges can be the source of some malaise. I know myself when I was embarking on that Pulitzer Prize journey, I knew that not all of those books were going to be winners. In particular, Alice Adams by Booth Tarkington was just so dry, so simple, so unapologetically racist, like more so than the time should really forgive. Ooh, that was, that was easily a stinker and probably the worst book I've read in the last few months. And so that goes to show you that sometimes a book prize isn't always a measure of quality. And speaking of Pulitzer Prize winners, On the Goldfinch by Donna Tartt. My feelings for this book cannot be adequately summed up. I remember being upset every minute I was reading it. 
this won a Pulitzer? I remember thinking that if this is what adult fiction is like, then please just count me out. Everyone was unhappy. Is, adult just a, is adulthood just a series of misfortune and unhappiness? Is it an inescapable labyrinth of suffering? I remember reading a review of the movie, too, that said it was boring, and I thought, what a shame that this was the one time Hollywood decided to create a faithful adaptation of a book. So yeah, book prizes aren't always a sign of quality either. And before we end this episode today, if you were hoping for some serious literary meditations, I apologize. I wanted to have some fun with this episode, and I had a blast going through some of these lovely rants, both video and audio. And before I thank everyone formally, I want to take a little moment to talk about coming back to a book. So in a couple of weeks, you're going to see an episode from me about 1984 by George Orwell, a book I read when I was at that pretentious 14, 15 years old and just did not care for. I thought it was just so oversaturated in pop culture. I knew about Big Brother watching me. I knew about Thought Police. I knew all of these legends of the book before actually reading it. And the book itself was dry and bleak and dour and just went on and on about political things that I really didn't understand. And then I reread it for the show and I changed my mind. I didn't fall in love with 1984, but I have an admiration for it that I didn't have before. I've grown, I've changed as a reader, and I've learned a lot along the way. I've developed some context that helps me put parts of that book in place. I've been able to connect it to the times that we currently live in, and I have so much more respect for the quieter moments that Orwell was able to bring. Stay tuned in a couple of weeks for my full thoughts on that book and to engage with the wonderful guest I have on that episode. So this is just meant to say, if there was a book you hated, maybe from your childhood, maybe from those middle grade reads, maybe a book club book or a book that someone lovingly recommended that you just didn't love, maybe wait a bit. Maybe see if down the road your tastes have changed, your context has changed, maybe you're just in the mood for a little something different. And maybe your mind will change as well. But honestly, only if you want to. Because like I said, life's too short to read bad books. And life is definitely too short for The Alchemist. Special shout-outs to Disha Mazepa, the host of But What Will People Say? To Emily Edwards, host of Fuckboys of Literature. And that middle voice you heard, thanks to my wonderful sister Neha for her lovely Robinson Crusoe rant. Thanks to everyone who submitted written rants. It was a pleasure to give them a bit of a dramatic read. To everyone who dropped titles into suggestion boxes. And to everyone who just told me they were really excited for this episode. I hope to enjoy it. And special thanks to my husband for recording the lovely minor key version of our little jingle. Mm -hmm.